0: Hello, welcome to Just Talk, the KC Educator Podcast. Created by educators for educators, this podcast is brought to you by Kansas City's Institute for Urban Education. Sit down with the IUE community, faculty, teachers, and students to open the conversation on Kansas City's urban schools. Education is social justice and community, theory and practice, history and future. Let's Just Talk. Our guests today are Reggie Berry and Sarah Eblen. Reggie and Sarah are educators that have worked in Kansas City's urban schools. Um, they're currently facilitators focused on restorative justice education and have started their own organization called Restore Ed. They've also been gracious to partner with the IUE in multiple ways, um, working with pre-service teachers and our recent graduates in our annual summer professional development. So welcome, Reggie and Sarah.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: (laughs) Thanks for being here. Um, So we're just going to jump in and have you start just um, kind of sharing your story about how restorative justice education has become your passion and priority. Like what, how did you get here?
1: Beautiful. Yeah. It's all all about the story. Um, So Sarah and I, we taught um, together Uh, a few years back. We started off with this great eighth grade class, um, which were pushed into a big high school with these big old kids. And we just started thinking about like, how can we cater to them developmentally, uh, making sure that we are meeting the needs of these students. Um, and so we started toying with creating an advisory and just trying to bring community with them or to them. And with that, we, we found that um, building this community was creating students that were just like more curious, more kind had this like compassion and empathy for each other. And that's looked like, you know, they wanted to be at school. Their attendance was like higher than their peers. Uh, you know, um, you know, discipline was not even really of an issue with this group. And so the funny thing about it all is we were doing like, we weren't familiar with like restorative practices yeah, then, but yeah. we were like doing it. Um, and then when it came down to like learning of this practice, we were able to start putting a name to it. And that's when it started kind of evolved. it's like okay this is this is what we want to do this is what we're gonna do um, so we continue to try to grow these practices within our classrooms and with other teachers um, and that evolved into hey let's let's make this a school-wide initiative in which we left our classrooms and became restorative justice coordinators which that day- to-day was, creating uh, opportunities to build up community but also when it came to conflict like creating that space to allow to facilitate conversations between those that have had had needs that to be met and from there of course it's like let's 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 keep on dreaming you know we have these middle school students are coming here they're not familiar with the practices Mm -hmm. let's go touch them and so uh, we we reached out to the the district and said, "Hey, let's see if we could get some restorative justice coordinators at our our middle schools." And so we started off with three schools. And fast forward to 2022, uh, we were in 12 different schools, 12 coordinators, and growing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, that's the beginning, but that's the yeah. I'm, I'm gonna pass it over to the growing part. Yeah. <laughs> right, right.
2: Um, so we were working in Kansas City Public Schools. We had 12 coordinators, and really helping them build what we built so naturally at Southeast High School in their own schools, their elementary, middle, and high. And we thought, like, our city needs this. We need better education, and we need really a position dedicated to to do this work. Because if you don't have a dedicated position, it's something that can easily fall off. And that's when we really started advocating within other school districts for this position. And also trying to think of how do we provide a nationally um, vetted training to Kansas City. And so we partnered with the National Center for Restorative Justice and became trainers uh, through that organization. And then just recently developed Restore Ed in the last year and have been working with districts to provide national training to teachers just because teachers spend the most time with our students. Yeah. And so that's where we really see this work take off is in the classroom. And then from there, having a restorative justice coordinator at your school to do the work uh, day to day as well. And that's where that's where we're at now. So partnering with different district and charter partners in the city. You know, you
0: talked about this. It's like that being unconsciously competent, you know, when you were starting off as teachers and you were doing these things and you didn't know what it was called yet. Right. So for anyone that's listening that maybe doesn't know, like how do you describe it or, or define restorative justice education? I know it's a broad right. set of fr- – it's a framework or a broad set of practices, but like what – how do you describe it?
1: Right. A good friend of ours, Nicholas, he's um, from the National Center for Restorative Justice. He defines restorative justice as the relational <laughs> approach to conflict, which I think that's a great way of like grasping R.J., But at the same time, like pushing it and we talked about restorative practices. And I think we tend to think about restorative practices as like a conflict resolution piece solely. Uh, But there's this community piece that that is the foundation of Mm -hmm. the work and that we need to focus on pertain to. And so I would say to teachers like this is community building work. You're working with students, you're working with your staff to make sure you're building trust within them so when those hard times come around, like, it's a little bit easier to push through because conflict is going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not like, none of these practices is going to, like, eliminate conflict. It's just, like, how are we going to approach it when when it does come or, you know, or when it comes or when you have to reflect on it the next day because sometimes it's, like, the next day, like, ooh, I probably didn't handle that right. So, uh, but being conscious of that, right, and so... And going back to earlier in our story, we talked about we were doing a work. We didn't have a name for it, but it's like we were conscious of like the need for something, and that needs to drive you right. It's that it's that paradigm shift of of thinking about um, community and conflict, which needs to lead your work that you're doing.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think we see a lot of teachers who are natural relationship builders, who then say, "Well, I don't have a ton of conflict because I have." these really good relationships. And so when I do have conflict, it's easier to address. And so I think it's, it's, it's hand in hand of like, when you're in relationship with people, you don't, you try harder to avoid harming them versus when it's a stranger. There's no stake in that game. But when you have relationships, you have stakes. You're like, I'm not going to do something to hurt someone. And so they have less natural conflict. And then when they have conflict, you're addressing it between two people who care about each other. So you're addressing the relationship, not the rule And so when you ask, like, hey, that really hurt my feelings. I was really confused. You're addressing feelings, not the rule is we have our heads up during instructional time. That's something that, like, doesn't really appeal to a lot of students. And so when they hear that, it's like, okay, cool, that's a rule. But when you say, like, hey, I'm concerned because I want you to do well, that's based in relationship. And so there's teachers who are just naturally relationship builders, and they're doing a lot of this work. And then when you give them that extra, like, skill and language around restorative practices, they can really hone it and do it um, yeah. e- even better than they're naturally doing it.
0: Yeah, I love that, like, relationship versus rule. I've never heard it, I think, stated that concisely, and I, I like that. You know, how do you think, like, with the, the educators that you're working with now, um, or and have been over the last couple of years, what do you notice about how it transforms them?
2: I think the beauty of it is like, first and foremost, there's a lot of buy-in when it clicks that it's, it's similar to a flipped classroom academically. You're flipping accountability in the classroom right now. Teachers are doing, or a lot of teachers are doing a lot of work in their classroom. And then there's so much burnout because they're spending their days both naming and solving problems for students when students have a lot of those skills already. So instead of saying like, hey, get your head up, get on question two, I've done all of the cognitive load for that student. When I flip it and say like, hey, I noticed you had your head down, kids then are put in problem-solving mode themselves and teachers aren't doing as much of that heavy load and heavy lifting. And so I think there's a lot of buy-in when they're like, oh, that makes more sense. I do want students who are problem-solvers. I do want students who understand that they are accountable for their own learning and I think there's, there's more buy-in from both sides then. Mm-hmm. And because they're creating classrooms where they're not doing as much heavy lifting all the time cognitively, they find more joy in that classroom. Because the idea is you're not there to monitor students. You're there to like inspire learning and, and joy. So when you get more opportunities to do that, I think there's, there's just more buy-in in the long run and there's more excitement around teaching. I don't want to go in and tell a kid to get their head up 40 times that's not joyful. I want to go in and I want to teach. And so then if I, if I do that flipped accountability model, I get more opportunities to teach instead of, um, punish.
0: Yeah. And I think you've pointed out like the language of it. It's like I grew, I came into education at a time where like relationship building has always been important. And that was something that I know as an educator that I was, I feel like I was good at. But the language, this the flipping of the language is something that is really challenging, I think, especially for educators that have been around a minute. And I see that in some of the schools that I'm working in that are trying to do this. You just hear it's so refreshing to hear a different way to frame the language with the kids, even young kids, because I work primarily in elementary schools and putting that accountability on them just changes everything. And I've learned so much, even just as someone going into the classroom and how I, you know, how I am changing my own language too. Um, so it's really, um, I think that's really, really important. Um, what about changes you've seen in students? Like you talked about students showing up. Um, what other kinds of things do you, do you feel like it does for students?
1: Um, it gives them agency. I mean, they are able to, like, one, feel like they're empowered to to speak for themselves, to speak up for others. And we've seen this countless of times with the students that we worked with. We uh, formed a ambassador, student ambassador uh, program, and these were just students that were going to help facilitate uh, circles and do community building projects and stuff. And some of those leaders, we call them our alternative leaders because they have been, like, Pushed through, dragged through this punitive processes, and they knew like that restorative, this restorative practices, this way was a, a a more needed alternative. Right, it was something that gave them more of an opportunity to resolve their conflicts, to be a part of the school. So the same, so same students, you know, they're stepping up and they're taking these leadership roles that. Have uh, never been given to them, right? You know, in the past, and these same students. I think mean, uh, Sarah was just speaking about that. You know, those calls we get about, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing, I have this successful story. I'm, I'm working at this uh, transition transition center, or I'm, you know, I'm a teacher now. We have, you know, some of our ambassadors are teaching in K- Kansas City public schools. You know, it's like, so um, there's definitely an impact there. It's just giving more voice, the more students. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What kind of pushback do you get, you know, when you're working with teachers that, that think it's too lenient or don't have a, a true understanding? Like what, what is, what are you finding in that pushback?
2: I think an initial pushback just comes from a lack of understanding of what restorative practices is day to day. And I think that's incredibly fair because there's a lot of Uh, restorative practices in name only and it's like we call it restorative practices a kid goes to an office they come back 20 minutes later and they have a snack and that can be very confusing as a teacher true restorative practices require actions of repair and so when a student has caused harm an action of repair might be I'm talking to my classroom before I re-enter I am doing something for that classroom to give back to it for the time I took away because of uh, my actions. And so there's actions of repair in that, and everyone is involved in that process. So restorative practices, by name only, may look a lot like the traditional process where a student is taken out of the classroom, talks to someone, and then is put back in the classroom, and no one who was truly harmed by that action is, is a part of the process. And that's not restorative. And I think that's sometimes where the confu- like confusion comes from is like, hey, we have this new term and then we're seeing students be taken out of class and returned to class like it was before. And so it feels like we're not doing anything and they're taking away suspension. So I, I as a teacher, don't feel like there's any accountability. So I think true restorative practices when they're implemented have to be done well so that we're not up against this this misconception of what it is. And so that more teachers have an opportunity to see it in its truest form. Mm-hmm. I also think, I mean, we were classroom teachers who it it was very frustrating to not be involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, get, I get that perspective. And I think if you don't have proper training and you're just hearing a new buzzword, it is, there's a, yeah. there's some it's, exhaust.
1: It's a, it's a new thing, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a buzzword. There's a new thing a new something I have to do that's put on my plate. right? Um, and we try to calm that ease when we have our trainings and we talk to educators like, we're not asking you to do something more, right? You're already going to do something, right? You're already going to address a student, mm-hmm. right? You're going to say something, but like, what are you going to say? How's it going to sound, right, in return? So just like undoing some of these misconceptions uh, when they come in there because I think being former educators we 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 get it. We get it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen so many different types of like programs, initiatives come and go. I've, I've yeah. saw multiple principals and superintendents and all the things that, you know, go on in our, in our systems that just gets, you know, kind of deflate teachers. And it's like, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest in this. It's going to go away. Yeah. Yes. All right. So <laughs> it's like, uh, but it's like, okay. So then, then it's like, we talk about language. Oh, this is not a program, you know, it's like, okay, so how do you, how do you communicate that? This is not like a program. This is like a way of thinking. And that's another whole bag right there. It's like a way of thinking. Now this sounds silly, you know, like, so, I mean, it it comes, there's a lot of, every step of the way you get a little bit of pushback. When you put teachers in those spaces and students in those spaces, that's when they start seeing, Mm -hmm. that's when the transformation comes. So you always need to we're always inviting them to be a part of these processes because you can you, It's a, it's a feeling. I don't know. It sounds it sounds silly. That might push a lot of people away, you know, off or turn them off. But it is a feeling. You have to come out feeling. You feel a certain way, and it's like, okay, how can I replicate that over and over? Yeah, and it's
0: a marathon. <laughs>
1: no, you know, it's not
0: right. it's not a short race.
2: No, it's exactly that. I think the best conversations we've had with teachers are like, don't sacrifice what you want right now for what you want long term. And you're never going to hear a teacher say, like, I want a student to be pushed out. I want the school-to-prison pipeline. I want a student to not learn from their behavior. We want all these things from our students. We want them to understand how they impact others. We want them to be successful. We want them to be problem solvers. But sometimes what we want right now is them out of our classroom. And that's, that's a real feeling. What we want right now is, like, to feel like there was, quote-unquote, justice. But what we want long-term is our students to be able to solve their own problems, so it's like don't sacrifice for what you want right now for what you want long term, and we have really good conversations with educators around that of like you're not going to find an educator anywhere in the city who says they want something negative done to a student, but it can be hard in the moment yeah. to to make that your action when you have thirty two kids in a yeah. classroom, and so I think it's just finding those those right strategies of like okay what do I want long term, and then what can I do right now to make sure that long term is still true for students. And and that's, that's the beauty of the language is you're just not – and I think when we think about impact to students, when you flip your language, you're not escalating students. And I know as a teacher, I, I'm sure I escalated students multiple times. Not sure. I'm confident I escalated students. Yeah. So when you flip that language, you're not putting students in a space where they're at risk of escalation and you're at risk of escalation as a teacher, which harms your relationship. It puts the students at risk of like – we always say if a student – within 10 minutes of your class is put out of your class that's a that's a teacher problem you know like somewhere we went wrong as it as an educator there are obviously uh, caveats to that sure <laughs> um but the idea is like we just need to put students in spaces where they can problem solve and make choices for themselves uh, and I think seeing the effects whether that is like student leaders who end up working in the the like justice space or it's something as little like They made it to fifth hour. Both of those are like wins, big and small, because students need safe spaces where they they have agency. Because if not, they rebel against a system that doesn't give them agency. I, um, you know, Ryan
0: and I work a lot with new teachers, and um, have been working and having conversations with these beginning teachers that are just really struggling. Mm -hmm. What kinds of advice? Do you give to those ed- novice educators that are kind of just starting on this journey?
1: Welcome to teaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's there's there's like a little initiation for all first year teachers, maybe even second year teachers. It just comes with the with the work. But I, I joke. I don't kind know. Kind of. Kind <laughs> of. Yeah. I, I you just have to you gotta you gotta keep on pushing on, but you have to find your community within your own schools. It is challenging work. It's hard. Uh, but you have to find your staff members, your team that are like-minded and wanna are doing the work um, that want to do the work and that 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 goes a long way. you know, um, you could get caught up working, you know, just get in this negative loop and you don't need anybody to remind you where you're already at. um so just be be mindful of like who you're surround yourself with and who you who you approach to mentor you and and go that end?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we always talk a lot about. There's there's the staff element of like language creates your reality. So if you're with staff who are consistently frustrated or bad mouthing students and other staff members. Your reality is going to be that that language that you're sitting in day in and day out in, in staff spaces. So I think that matters. I also think language creates reality in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be really cognizant of of what you're doing and saying in your classroom space. And that either creates or doesn't create community. And so I think when you're going in, there's something about... And it's funny because elementary teachers do them kind of naturally and then we forget to do them in middle and high school spaces. There's something about saying, like, we are a family, mm-hmm. we are a community to your students day in and day out. Because right. the more you say it to yourself, the more you say it to them, like, language creates that reality for you and for them. And when you're in community with people, you, like, you cause less harm. Yeah. And so I think, like, there's something in those first few months of, like, you just have to create your own reality and you have to, like cognizantly think of your language and what you're doing in staff spaces and in your own yeah. classroom. And mm-hmm. there's something powerful to that.
0: Right. And I keep thinking back to what you said too, because I'm thinking of one particular classroom that I've been supporting and um, they, they are doing an excellent job really of trying to use the language and trying to stay um, and you know, all the, all the right kinds of things. Um, and yet there's still a struggle. There's still, but it's that repair piece so even if students are having to leave, it's when right. they come back in, how do we repair what happened before? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just like a really – like you you named earlier, like that's kind of the main – one of the main things. Um, but I think I see that especially with new teachers, like keeping that at the forefront. Right. So, and yeah.
2: I think it can be challenging for new teachers who – are really excited about this new way of thinking but are in structures that haven't caught up to that
1: mm-hmm. and so
2: when a student does have to be sent out there might not have been a restorative approach in an office space and so they come back and they're like well what can I do but I think it's so important to remember as a teacher in your classroom you still have the agency to make choice and change that conversation so if you don't feel like there was a a real authentic conversation had and needs weren't met outside of the classroom before they reenter, you still have the ability to create a system and say, okay, before we reenter part of our uh, norms as our class is we do X, Y, or Z. And we've seen that be really powerful of like, Hey, what we do in the office, that's one part of repair. We also have a second part of repair in this classroom where we think about it in a small group where we talk about it before we go to recess or we circle up and do a quick accountability circle but I think it's remembering like accountability doesn't just happen in office spaces. Like you have the ability to mm-hmm. create accountability in your classroom and make that just a norm. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. Cause I, I remember as a first year teacher thinking, like, well, when it leaves my classroom, then it's it's someone else and then I have no say. But you have a lot of a lot of influence on what the norms of your classroom are, especially around uh, accountability and what that looks like.
0: Before we kind of wrap up our conversation today, what would you love to see, like with the work that you're doing with Restore Ed? Um, what would you love to see for the city of Kansas City and the schools and the kids that we serve here in, in KC?
1: I, I think there's a lot of promise in where we're going with um, our restorative practices and just being mindful of our students', students needs. I mean, I can see us being one of the cities that is kind of like a, a model city. I mean, we we've seen Oakland and districts in Denver like that are doing great work, and I think we're we're on that way because we've been talking to all of our community uh, members and partners and seeing that we have restored justice coordinators here and there. It's uh, it's promising. I just want to make sure that we all come together and we're all supporting each other in this work because we all service the same students, mm-hmm. right? Kansas city is a small city um, our students some of them are transient you know and so I want us to be that model and I think we're kind of on that way and so we just need to rely on each other and support each other and get the proper training to make sure that we are we're doing it with fidelity yeah. work we do yeah.
2: yeah I think fidelity stood out to me too I think it's this work has a tendency to grow very quickly mm-hmm. because it is a buzzword mm-hmm. right now and so I think it's making sure as we're growing, we are also doing it, like we said earlier, like with, with fidelity to practice to make sure that buy-in from teachers and students stays high. Because if you have a bad experience, it's really quickly to say I had one bad experience and therefore I don't want to engage in restorative practices. And so as we're growing in it, and it's new to people, we need to make sure that first and second, third and fourth experiences they have are really um, true to what restorative practices is in, in theory.
0: Well, I have seen both of you in action, you know, in training and working with our new teachers. And um, I just really appreciate what you all are doing and um, have learned a ton just from listening and having even this conversation today. So um, thank you for for joining us. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to Just Talk, a KC educator podcast. Thanks to the generosity of the Kansas City community. Just Talk is brought to you by the Institute for Urban Education at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Check out other episodes of our podcast on our website at www.info.umkc.edu backslash IUE backslash. Join us next time as we continue to Just Talk.